Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. All right. Uh, I did this last week, and I like it. It's something I brought from previous experience, so... If Jesus is worthy, say amen. 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 Um, This morning, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the pew in front of you that you can can borrow. It's a little bit of a different translation, but same truth, so you're good. Uh, That's too much effort for you. We should have stuff on the screens. So, Hebrews chapter 5. And while you're turning there... um, I want us to consider something that's not in Hebrews for a second. I want us to consider a story, an interaction that Jesus had with a law expert at one point in time. In Luke chapter 10, there's an expert in the Torah who stands up while Jesus is teaching other people, and he stands up to challenge or to test Jesus. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the Torah? How do you read it? Okay, that's fascinating. Because when someone asks me a question as a pastor or even as a Christian, very rarely is my response, what did you read in the Bible and how did you read it? I usually stop at, what did you read in the Bible? But Jesus doesn't go, hey, well, what did you read there? He says, how do you read it? You see, this law expert had asked this question in hopes that he could insulate himself from responding to the text personally. He's trying to limit personal responsibility. And so, yeah, he wants to talk about scriptures as a text so that we can, he can dissect it and analyze it and discuss it with Jesus, the great rabbi of Israel. But Jesus is like, homie, I'm not going to play that game. Rather than being something that we stand over to dissect and analyze and discuss, the scriptures are the living words of God that we submit ourselves to and we read and respond with faith and obedience. So instead of inviting this guy over to the shade of the oak tree where they can have a private Bible study together, Jesus instead tells him a story, and it's his famous story of the Good Samaritan. He looks at this expert of the law and says, okay, so there's this Jewish man who's traveling down to Jericho, and he's robbed, and he's beaten, and he's left half dead on the side of the road. And along comes a priest, and the priest sees this half-dead Jewish man who's just been robbed and beaten, lying on the side of the road, and he looks at him and walks across to the other side of the road and continues on his way. And then along comes a Levite, and the exact same thing happens. He sees this man on the side of the road, intentionally crosses over and goes along on his way. And then along comes a Samaritan. And the Samaritan had compassion on this Jewish man. Not only did he bandage his wounds, he put him on his own animal and took him to an inn and paid for his recovery. And so Jesus stops, and you can imagine all eyes on him as he tells this story, and then they like dart back and forth between this arrogant dude who stood up to challenge Jesus and Jesus who's just told this story. And Jesus says to the man, which of the three in this story was a true neighbor? 
And that is a question that absolutely impales the expert of the law because he's realizing that the words of scripture can no longer be exclusively handled by means of definition or dissection. He's realizing that the scripture insists on participation and not just observation. Jesus insists on participation. And even to emphasize his point a little bit, Jesus dismisses this guy by saying, go and do like the Samaritan. You came here to just talk about what you observe, but you don't understand that the God of the universe is inviting us into the story of scripture. He's inviting us into the life of his kingdom. It's not about observation, it's about participation. So I want you to keep that story in your mind as we approach God's word today. We're gonna be in Hebrews five, but we're gonna be bouncing around a little bit. And I want that question of Jesus to, to kind of hound you as you consider what we read. How do I read and understand scripture? Is this something that, that I just look at as casual observation? Or am I gonna read and respond with faith and obedience? Because we're building this morning's text off of where we ended last week. Last week, we looked at some of those soul-strengthening implications of the resurrection that because Jesus is risen, we no longer have to search for life in dead places. That because Jesus is risen, we can now walk in newness of life. And for those of us who are Christians, that means we are new people living with a new allegiance. Our new allegiance is not to, to self and to sin. Our new allegiance is to King Jesus who purchased us with his own blood and conquered the power of death. And so we belong to a new kingdom. And in this kingdom, the king calls us to participation. Participation is purposeful obedience. That's the proof of spiritual maturity. That's the focal point of what we're gonna be in this morning. We're gonna be seeing that pursuing spiritual maturity is embodied proof that we are walking in newness of life. So I will say this, uh, before we get into it, small disclaimer, by design, this sermon is gonna feel different compared to last week's sermon. Today, I, I just wanna slowly and humbly walk through God's word with you and allow God's word to stir us to awe and wonder, but I also wanna, uh, want us to allow God to shepherd our souls as we consider the state of our own spiritual maturity. We're gonna come back to that question in our hearts and in our minds. How do we read and understand this? As something to be disconnectedly observed or as something to be participated in? So that's the preamble. Hopefully I gave you enough time to find Hebrews chapter five. If not, that's all I got. So <laughs> Hebrews chapter five. We're gonna be reading from uh, verse 12 down to chapter six, verse three. And then we're gonna pray and ask God to once again bless our time in his word. It says in Hebrews 5, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who loves milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from the dead, works and of faith toward God, and of the instruction about washings or baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Father, you are um, 
You are a bottomless fountain of goodness and grace. And as we approach your word now, God, we are asking that you would pour out your goodness and grace upon us. Show us how it is good for us to grow into maturity in our faith. Move us toward awe and wonder at the things that we read and hear from your scriptures today. You make it clear, God, that you want those who put their faith in Jesus to continue to grow. You, you want spiritual growth and maturity for us. And Lord, we acknowledge today that we want what you want. So speak to us through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Bring clarity to our minds, courage to our souls, so that we would choose life in purposeful obedience for the glory of your name, King Jesus, and for the good of all people. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so Hebrews chapter five, right away in verses 12 through 14, where we're picking up our story, uh, the contrast is made between mature Christianity and immature Christianity. And honestly, I'm so grateful that um, God has done this. God's word has spoken to define that for us, and he hasn't left us on our own to our own devices to try to figure out um, who's mature and who's immature, or what, um, what spiritual maturity even is. Because if, if we had to decide that on our own, we would each apply a different metric. Even coming to the word of God, we would try to interpret it and influence it so that we were the mature ones, and those that we maybe disagree with or don't like are clearly the immature ones. But God, in his kindness, has not done that. He has painted this picture throughout scriptures littered throughout the Bible that help us to see and understand what God says spiritual maturity looks like. So before we even get to Hebrews 5, I, I'm throwing you a curveball a little bit. I want you to keep a finger there in Hebrews 5, and we're going to turn to two other places in just a second. First, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to highlight some of these other places that help us recognize God's specifications for spiritual maturity and immaturity. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, or by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking in the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ. So there is a lot of like wonderful doctrine, wonderful Christian teaching to unpack here. But for our purposes today, I wanna fix our attention on the traits of immaturity and maturity that were presented to us. Now, if the slides are working, and we don't know if they are, are they? They are. Ryan Ferguson, guys, if you don't know him, he's amazing. Uh, we're gonna, I've outlined these for you so you could see where I'm coming from in the word of God. So there are, are two traits of, of immaturity that we can see in God's word clearly. First, those who are immature are those who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Put simply, they're not anchored in scripture. And so they drift and float with the various waves or winds of doctrines or belief or the new thing that they hear, or the new book that comes out, or the new podcast series that's amazing. They're unstable in their convictions because they're untethered to the authority of scripture. And God in his word says, that's a sign of immaturity. We also see that they're easily influenced by people. 
We see that in verse 14. It's what the Bible calls human cunning. Now, being easily influenced by people, it takes a lot of forms in our day. I see it most prominently in three different ways. First, having a Christianity that's defined more by culture than Christ. That's a sign of immaturity. Secondly, by following personalities. Or thirdly, by idolizing celebrity pastors. Granting relational, relationally disconnected authority to these pastors because they are somebody. Because their church, church has over a thousand people. Because they've written a book. And so we... we Gravitate, or we latch on to people to help us define our relationship with God. We let the culture decide, or the people we think have influence decide, or those that we see as super spiritual decide, rather than just coming to God himself or being in the community of God that he's placed us fully to say, let's grow together and become who God has created us to be. Those are some traits of immaturity. But there are some traits of maturity as well. There are three of them, actually, in this, in this uh, section that we're going to highlight. First is that they possess a strong understanding of Scripture. They're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine because their convictions are anchored in simply what Scripture says. Now, real quick, I just want to encourage you. You're like, man, I feel like you're calling me out a little bit. That's not my intention. If, if the traits of immaturity hit, my hope is that you would go, man, you know what? I, I am kind of blown about by every wind of doctrine. I think the new thing is great, and then it lets me down, and then I run to this pastor hoping he'll have answers. The, the appeal of God this morning is that you would come to his word and get to know him. He's not trying to shame or force us into obedience. He's inviting us to live into what the newness of life in Christ is. It's pressing on towards spiritual maturity, learning to read and understand God's word on our own. Some of us have come from uh, youth groups or college ministries or churches where we've kind of been accustomed to being baby birded. You know what that is? Like where the pastor or the person discipling us or our spiritual whomevers, they chew up the, the goodness of God's word and then awkwardly and weirdly, we just open our mouth and go, give me that goodness from your mouth. Like that's, the, I'm about to throw up in my mouth right now just thinking about that. Like I, it's so gross. But many of us, that's how we get fed. And the invitation of God is, Let's learn to feed ourselves. We're not, we're not ignoring or discounting pastors and preachers and books, all the things that are good, but God is saying, I wanna to speak to you from my word. I, I, I wanna show you great and wonderful things that you had not previously known. Secondly, the mature, those are people who speak the truth in love. The content of what they say is, is the truth, but it's conveyed with a tone, a heart of love. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've known people who use uh, speaking the truth in love as a weapon. Like, they're super mean to me, and they're like, I'm just speaking the truth in love. And I'm like crying over here, like rethinking everything I am as a person because I dressed in all black on a Sunday morning, and they're like, I'm just telling you in love. Like, you going to a funeral? I'm like, what is going on, you know? Like, they, they, they use this as a weapon to say what they want to say and take off their filter of discernment. That's not what love is. Love is the full encapsulation of what we read in 1 Corinthians 13. So you're speaking to somebody looking to be patient and kind toward them, not envious or boastful, not arrogant or rude or resentful, but speaking in a way that's not giving up hope or faith toward them or toward God because you're always hoping for the best. 
We speak the truth, but we do it in love. We do it in the tone and tenor of God. And then we see that they are becoming more like Jesus in their pursuits. Verse 15 talks about growing up into Christ who is the head. I like that it says growing up in every way. Selective sanctification is a sadistic lie. Say it again. Selective sanctification, he's my boss, so I have to. Selective <laughs> sanctification is a sadistic lie. We, get to pick, we don't get to pick and choose where we wanna grow and where God doesn't get access to. That's not a sign of maturity. Some people are content with Jesus being savior, but not Lord over all, but Lord over some. Growing up in every way into Christ Jesus, who is the head. That's a sign of maturity. It's wanting more and pursuing more than just the status quo. Now, there's more that we could get into, but there are other parts of scripture I want us to see that speak to this. Hopefully, you still have a finger in Ephesians 5. Uh, if not, there's grace. But now turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is to the right of Ephesians. We are coming back to Hebrews, I promise. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, Paul writes, says, not that I've already obtained this or, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anything, if anyone thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So again, there are two traits of immaturity I wanna highlight. First, quite simply, is thinking otherwise to this mindset that's outlined by Paul in verse 15. Paul even says, like, let those who are mature think this way, and those who aren't, the Lord is kindly and graciously gonna show you that you need to grow up. Secondly, sign of immaturity is that we allow past hurts and experiences to hinder our present pursuits of Christ. A sign of immaturity is that we run away from what God has clearly entrusted to us here and now. See, when Paul writes forgetting what's behind, he's speaking of our past hurts as well as our past victories. Now, that was interesting. That got some heads to like look up, like how, what are you saying? So past hurts we can resonate with. Past victories might, might take a little bit of consideration. But let's talk about past hurts for just a second. You'll need an app for me to help. Nope, not talking to you, Siri. Past hurts, there's that unwillingness to forgive what happened to us in the past that keeps us in bondage to the past. It makes us unable to move on and press on to lay hold of every good thing that God has set before us because we're still holding on to what happened. And by no means am I or is the Lord Jesus in all of his kindness trying to say, oh, just get over it. That's not the message. But there's an acknowledgement that what God has here in front of us is worth laying hands on but we can't do that if we're still holding on to the past hurts and letting those hurts and experiences define us or limit us. That one I think we understand a little bit, but we also can't remember or hold on to. We need to forget those past victories. 
Because yesterday's battles were won with yesterday's grace. We say yes and amen to that, right? But we cannot rely on past successes for our present struggles. We need God's grace today for today. And I think the tendency is to go, yeah, but I, I, I conquered that once before, I'm good. So like, we're never gonna struggle with that again? Well, God was good, good before, so I don't really need to trust him today because he got me through that. And so we rely on past victories and past successes to give us victory in the moment, looking instead to what God has done and not what God wants to do. So a trait of immaturity is that we're, we're not being in the moment with God, not being where we're at because we're holding on to past hurts, past victories, past whatevers. But then there are two traits of maturity. The mature, they don't let their past hinder them. Most of the time, we go full stop right there, but hinder them from what? They don't let their past hinder them from faithfully, faithfully living into who God created them to be. That's a huge distinction. We're gonna talk more about how obedience to God and responding in faith to God's word is actually not a hindrance. It's something that frees us to be the fullest expression of who God made us to be. But we're not there, that's Hebrews, so give me a second. Secondly, instead of running away, the mature keep running the race of faith with endurance. So Hebrews 12.1 says, let us run the race set before us with endurance. The word race is the word agon. It's where we get our word agony. It's the same word that's used by the Apostle Paul when he's writing to Timothy, a young pastor in the faith. He's, he tells Timothy, he urges Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight. The word fight is agon. So race and fight, the, these metaphors for the Christian life are both described as agony. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're like, oh my God, yes. Like, why has no one ever mentioned this before? They have, thousands of years ago, in the book. <laughs> and this race of faith, a, a sprint is challenging, but it's not agonizing. What's agonizing is running a marathon. Because you hit a wall at a certain point, I've told you that story before, I'm not going there again, it's a huge failure for me. Long story short, I didn't finish. Uh, whatever. Some of you are like gut laughing and it hurts my feelings right now. <laughs> Telling you the truth in love, whatever. Um, this race of faith that we are running, it's a marathon and not a sprint, so that's why we're exhorted to run the race with endurance. Running with endurance is running to obtain the prize, running to grab hold of all that God has made available to us along the way. And we're not just running well in the moment, we're running to finish well. So that's Ephesians 4, that's Philippians 3. Those are just two little ideas of what spiritual maturity and immaturity are according to God. Our standards, our metrics have been removed. We understand God's, but now let's fix our attention on Hebrews chapter 5. I don't have slides for this one because it was just too much. So just be with me in the moment. In verse 12 through 14, once again, we read this, that by this time, he says, you ought to be teachers, but you still need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. And everyone who lives on milk is a child, is unskilled. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
So there are three traits of maturity here, but we're gonna give a little more meat on these bones. The first is that the immature are on a spiritual diet of milk only. Now milk is the word picture used to represent the basic teachings of the gospel that's first learned by the new believers. Whereas solid food, or your version might say milk, or meat, excuse me, so you have milk and meat, milk and solid food. Solid food represents the more solid, the, the deeper spiritual things of scripture. Those implications of the gospel which go beyond the basics. So this contrast is being made that there's milk and there's meat and the low-hanging fruit that establishes a false dichotomy is that milk is bad and solid food is good. But God's word doesn't say milk is bad. Milk is a good thing. Milk is essential for growth, especially for babies. It's a necessary place, it has a necessary place in the life of every believer. Peter is writing to an audience in 1 Peter chapter two. He says, put away who you were, put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word of God so that you would grow up into salvation. Drinking the milk of God's word helps us mature in our faith. It's necessary for us to begin to grow. Milk is good, but a milk-only diet is not. It's not healthy. In order to grow and mature, we need to incorporate solid food into our diet because it's impossible to thrive in our walk with God on milk alone. Sometimes my wife, Alyssa, will uh, help me with my sermon prep. And as we were talking over this portion, she said something that resonated with me and she didn't know I'm gonna quote her, so it's fun. Uh, she said, no one got to this point in life apart from milk. Like milk offers vital nutrition, but no one expects a child to remain on milk. The expectation is that every child will at some point move on to solid foods. And if they don't, something's gone wrong. She's onto something there. We, we live, and there's a biological expectation that we all have for children to be weaned off of a milk-only diet or a formula-only diet and start to incorporate solid foods so that they begin to grow. In the same way, there's a spiritual expectation for those who are God's children through faith in Jesus to be weaned off of spiritual milk and learn to eat solid food. It's unhealthy if milk is our only like, source of nutrients. If, man, I'm just gonna do this. <laughs> if a family walked into church and you saw a, a young child drinking milk from a bottle, strolling in, waving at people, you'd think nothing of it. You'd think, that's so cute. Look at that little toddler walking in drinking milk. If a grown man waddled in the same way, drinking from the same bottle, started waving at people, you would look the other way because there's something not natural about that. Milk is, is a good thing, but it can't be the only thing in our diet. We need to incorporate solid foods if we're gonna continue to grow and mature as God's people. Then he tells them in verse 13, he says, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. Right there we get our second trait of immaturity that the, they are unskilled in living out or explaining their faith and their following of Jesus. They don't, know, they don't know how to explain it. They don't know even how to really follow well. They're just like, I, I'm kind of just going with the flow here. 
I'm unanchored in scripture, so I'm trying to figure it out, I guess, a little bit over here, a little bit over here. Now that paints a bad picture, but, but there's a word that the author uses purposefully that I think gives proper perspective to unskilled. And I hope that this will speak to any rest or speak rest to any weariness that you have or any burden that you bear this morning. Skill, as it's used here, has nothing to do with sonship. He said, you can be unskilled and yet you're still a child. Your child can be unskilled at something, yet they are still your child. Their identity as a beloved son or daughter is not undone by their immaturity. That should be a comforting thing for, for those of us who identify through God's litmus this morning, going, man, I think I'm immature in my faith. Do I even have faith? Am I a child of God? And we're going down the rabbit hole. And right here, this word child is the word meant to tether us back and go, you are unskilled, but you are a child. Your skill or lack thereof doesn't affect your sonship. But it's a reminder that even amidst their immaturity, they're sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus. I like that God is willing to acknowledge our immaturity alongside our sonship. God is able to acknowledge where we really are and he asks us to do the same, to see if we will really acknowledge with reality the truth or if we're gonna tell a lie. A few weeks ago, we were in John's Gospel and it's post-resurrection. The disciples have all gone back to, uh, to fishing. Even the ones who weren't fishermen were like, I guess, I guess we'll go with you guys and become fishermen. They toil and they labor all night. They come back with nothing. And Jesus calls out to them from the shore, hey, did you guys catch anything? And that's the moment. That's the moment where they can either acknowledge what's real and reap the benefits of the presence of Jesus and the blessings of Jesus that he's prepared for them that they don't know about, or they can lie and tell him a fishtail. And John goes, no. He chooses in that moment to acknowledge where he's really at and what he really doesn't have. And Jesus goes, look on the other side of the boat. And as they go over, there's the net. It's just filled with fish, and they can't even haul it up. It was that moment of honest acknowledgement that allowed these men to reap the benefits of being in the presence of Jesus. I like that God openly acknowledges where we're at and where we're not, and he asks us to do the same so that we can, from a point of immaturity, begin to take steps toward maturity so that we can walk in health, so that we cannot be that weirdo walking in, drinking from a milk bottle, going, what's up, everybody, but eating solid food. Third, we see that for the immature, their faith is practiced primarily through receiving. In verse 12, he says, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you guys are just primarily taken. There's little to no teaching or discipleship of other people. By this time, time is a good word, man. It's a calculated word. He's, he's intentionally employing it here to remind these people of how many sermons they'd heard, how many books they had read or scrolls, how many ancient podcasts they had listened to, whatever. His point is that with as, as much exposure as they'd had to good teaching and pre preaching and reading of the word of God, by now, they should be teaching and discipling others. The mark of maturity is that we do more than primarily receive. We also invest in others. 
We walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us that are intended for the edification of the building up of the body of Christ. But if we're just takers, we're just consumers, that's not a sign of maturity. And there's only one trait of maturity that's listed here in verse 14. The mature are those who practice spiritual discernment so that they can distinguish between right and wrong. The practice of spiritual discernment is, is an exercise in applying the word of God to everyday life. It's what Eugene Peterson called living in active response to the word of God and to the living God. We might call this by another name, we call it obedience. Spiritual maturity is not measured by what we know. It's measured by how we're working out what God is working into us. It's measured by what we do with what God is doing inside of us. To put it in the words of a pastor who, who spoke this into my life years ago, he said, to the degree that you obey Jesus is the degree that you're spiritually mature. You see, church, when, when we trust the Lord, we respond to what he says and we follow him in response to his truth and his word. But if we don't trust him, at best, we are informed but unresponsive. And if you're looking for a succinct summary of spiritual immaturity, it would be informed but unresponsive. Whereas the sign of spiritual maturity is marked by responding to the word of God in faith and obedience, spiritual immaturity is marked by unresponsive hearing alone. It's what James talks about in James chapter one. When he exhorts them, he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because when you're just a hearer, you're deceiving yourself. Hearing only faith is, is Decepticon discipleship. And for those of you who got my Transformers reference word, the other 97,000 of you, you're like, I don't know what that is. Whatever, don't judge me. We don't want a, a discipleship that's based off of deception of ourself because we're not rooted in the truth of God's word. We get into chapter six, and the exhortation continues. It becomes a little clearer, actually. He says, let us respond to God's word and God's working with faith and obedience. And let's do that by building upon the foundation of the biblical basics. In verse one, he says, let's leave the elementary doctrines of Christ behind and let's go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. In another translation, the elementary doctrines are called the basic teachings of Christianity. There are six basics that he lists here for us. Repentance from dead works, uh, faith in or faith toward God, baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. Those are the basics. And for many Christians, they're like, I don't even know what those last three were. <laughs> were you speaking English? Yes, I was. But for anyone who's been a Christian for a minute, there's a healthy expectation that we would know these doctrines well enough to teach them to others. And if we're not actively doing that, or we think of ourselves as being unable to do that, the expectation is that we would put ourselves in a position to learn and to keep growing so that we can teach them to others, so that we can live into the ministry of Ephesians 4, which is equipping one another, building one another up, bringing unity to the body of Christ as we orient ourselves around the person of God and the, the, the beauty of Scripture. So think of it this way. These basics, 
These basic doctrines are to Christianity what like the ABCs are to language. The ABCs are necessary for us to know language, but the goal isn't to stop at merely knowing the ABCs. The goal is to build upon them and become fluent. And the more fluent we become with the basic foundational elements of a thing, the more the world opens up before us. So in the same way that we as mature people don't outgrow the ABCs, we as mature spiritual people don't outgrow or move past the basics of Christianity. Rather, we take them with us as we move forward. We build upon them. We explore the implications for our life and others. We go deeper into them as we grow further in Jesus. Now, all of this was framed with a question by Jesus at the very beginning. How do you read it? Because in this past 35 minutes, I've told you what I see from the word of God, and I, 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 my intent and my aim has been to be honoring toward God and convincing from an impartial standpoint for you to go, I trust the, the spirit of God to just speak and for God to illuminate. But now the question comes to you, how do I read it? Am I gonna be a casual observant or am I gonna be someone who participates? And we've all been brought right here to this point of what Deuteronomy chapter 30 calls uh, the power of choice. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, Moses stands up before the people and he speaks for God. And he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that God swore to your fathers to give them. So the options are there, life or death, blessing or cursing, obedience to God's word or casual observation of God's word. Buried just beneath the surface of that scripture are the wonderful blessings of choosing obedience. As we walk in obedience to God and his word, not only will we grow in maturity, but we will walk in the blessings that God has prepared for us to walk in before he formed the foundations of the world. Obedience means that we're walking in God's best. As I said earlier, grabbing hold of all that God has made available, and the whole time, As we walk in obedience to God, God is working in us. He's changing our hearts and our desires and transforming our character. I've I've quoted my my pop to you guys a few times. Um, So I'm gonna give you another little nugget that he shared with me. I remember there was a time, (laughs) I was in a difficult season as a younger pastor years ago. And we decided to meet my family after church and go to lunch. I think we were at Applebee's, because that's what you do in Southern California after church, you go to Applebee's. Um, And as we were there, we were talking about this particular passage. And at one point, my grandpa, my pop, with decades of ministry experience and walking with Jesus experience, he looked at me and said, Eric, we're good because Jesus makes us good. But we're faithful because we choose to be. And we're obedient because we choose to be. That son is the power of choice. 
that has resonated with me for years. And it's really funny, like this week has been awful for me. I'm just gonna be honest. And in, in response, I've been awful to my wife. <laughs> and I'm sitting here studying about the power of choice, knowing that I have a choice to honor God in how I love and treat her or continue to be the worst possible version of myself. And it's with great sadness that I tell you, man, I didn't always make the right choice. But God has met me with grace and mercy. Immediately when it happened, the first thing I was reminded of when I woke up this morning and my wife prayed over me as I walked up here to the stage. The power of choice is that even when we make the wrong ones, the next moment is another chance and an opportunity for us to choose to be faithful, to be obedient, or to hear what this dude in all black has said from a pulpit and to simply be like, yeah, that was interesting. But I'm gonna leave here informed and unresponsive. Church, in, in all of this talk about spiritual maturity and immaturity, purposeful obedience and casual observation, we are being presented with the choice of how are we gonna respond to God's word. Last thing I'll share. Um, Sam Alberry, in a book called Lost and Found, he said this process of choosing obedience, he said it's paradoxically how we most become our true selves. The process of what is elsewhere Jesus calls denying yourself in Mark 8, 34, it doesn't actually mean we become less of who we are, but the opposite. We become more of who we are, more of the person God had in mind in the first place when he originally thought us up. As we respond in faith and obedience to God's word, as we take steps from immaturity into maturity, we are becoming the fullest expression of who God created us to be for the glory of God and for the good of all people. And so in the same way that Moses presented it before the people, I'm gonna say this as my final parting word, life or death, blessing or cursing, participation or observation. This is God's word to us this morning and it's good. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge, hopefully, God, acknowledge where we're at. Thanking you, Lord, that, that you are fully aware of everything we are and everything we are not. And the invitation is that we would come to know you and trust you through faith in your son, Jesus. God, I know that this was aimed primarily at those who have put their faith in you. But Lord, if there are people who have never been to a church before, don't know what Christians are really about, I pray that your word would have spoken clearly today and that my words would just evaporate from our minds and hearts. But God, I trust that your word spoke and that you are speaking to waken people from the, the, the slumber of spiritual immaturity to walk in the fullness of newness of life by choosing obedience, by taking steps to grow and become mature and incorporate solid food into our diet. So God, for your glory, for your great purposes in the world where you do the work that only you can do, we pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.